there. We had finished our lessons from Acts, the book of Acts, last week and the people that we looked at for a number of weeks. So I want us to uh, direct our thinking this way as we actually begin our Bible conference this week, which will start tonight, uh, with a passage I hope will challenge and encourage us. As uh, Ron said, this is a familiar story. I hope you remembered it as uh, he read it to us. And uh, maybe even can picture it. Uh, I've been to this place where this story takes place. Some of you uh, probably have too. And uh, it's always exciting to, to stand there in a spot like that. Now, it's around the Sea of Galilee. The, Galilee is mentioned like in the previous verse, verse 44, but that's referring to the whole country or the area. But the, the sea itself, of course, is called the Sea of Galilee also. However, in verse 1, it gets the name Gennesaret, uh, which is uh, an old Jewish name for the same lake. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias at another place. So it has a few different names, kind of typical and so forth. Um, and uh, it, I want you to picture it this way. Here's an easy way to picture uh, these places in Israel. Uh, a circle at the top and a circle at the bottom and draw a line between the two. And you have a picture of the land of Israel. <laughs> you have the sea, the, the sea of Galilee at the top, the Dead Sea at the bottom. And in between is the Jordan River. It's that way today. Now, both lakes are not just a perfect circle, but, but you get the idea. And then at the top circle... Uh, if you think of it as the face of a clock, put a notch at 11 o'clock and you will have Capernaum on the uh, top northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where this picture is taking place. And so that's kind of the way the, the land is today. And uh, I've stood there at, uh, at Capernaum. Uh, it mean, Capernaum means the city of Nahum, the Old Testament prophet of Nahum. Perhaps he grew up here. Perhaps that's why the town was named after him. I don't know. But today, there's just a lot of ruins there, as is typical in the land of Israel in, in many places. Uh, so uh, just debris scattered all over and all the parts of stone walls and so forth uh, because there's no lively town there in Capernaum today. Uh, but Jesus picks this town in his day as the center of his ministry in, the, in Galilee and goes out from Capernaum, comes back, goes across the lake, comes back to Capernaum. So it's a real center of his ministry. In the first part of the story, in the first uh, few uh, verses, which are not really part of my text for what I want to say this morning, but you have this uh, a story of Jesus teaching the people there around Capernaum. And since he's done other miracles in the area, many people come uh, to crowd to him. And so uh, the crowd is so oppressive that uh, there are two boats tied up at the dock or at the land there. We find out later one of them is Peter's and the other is uh, uh, James and John. They were partners in their fishing industry. And so he gets into one of them, which is Peter's, and he tells Peter to push him out a little bit in the water, and he sits in the boat in the water, and he's teaching people because they've come right up to the edge of the water. What can he do but fall in the water? So the boat's there, he gets in it. Uh, I've, uh, I remember hearing someone describing that one time. 
and uh, he was stretching it a little bit. He said that, uh, you know, there were mountains around Galilee, and the mountains formed kind of an echo behind him, and he sat on the water, and the, his voice reflected off the water and bounced off the mountains, and everybody in the, before him could hear. It'd be nice if it was that way, but it wasn't quite that way. <laughs> when, when you leave Capernaum and go back toward the hills, it's a quarter mile to a half mile before the land begins to slope up gradually. It is perhaps the place that they call where he gave the Mount of Beatitudes, where he gave the Sermon on the Mount, so to speak, and there's a Catholic church there called the, the Church of the Beatitudes. But uh, there's no way that it's right up against the land. So it's pretty flat, really, uh, seaside there. You can look across the lake, uh, and it's like a large lake, we would call it today. And you see the Golan Heights, which are there today in a big part of the 67 War and so forth. And they do jut right up out of the water on the far side of the lake. So it's a picturesque. Galilee is, is the lifeblood of Israel, freshwater Things grow from it. The farming land around is irrigated from it. Uh, the Golden Heights protect Israel. Uh, so, so it's a real picturesque area, and you can just see Jesus sitting in that boat and all these people gathered around. And then uh, once he's done teaching, he says to Peter, let's go fishing. Let's launch out into the deep, which is kind of our story. So he does. Now, uh, on this lake, Jesus will do and has done many things. You remember that he calms the storm on this lake, where they're in the boat and the storm is lashing all around them, and Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat, and they wake him up, and he says, oh, ye of little faith, and he says to the wind and the sea, be quiet. And they are immediately. And they say, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, and you remember once he walked across this lake uh, and, w and would have walked past the disciples as they were struggling uh, in the water. And there Peter gets a few steps out on the water, too. So many miraculous things happen on this lake. But uh, they also, they're fishermen. And uh, especially Peter, James, and John run this fishing business, but many of the other disciples were familiar with this too, and often on the water. They, they talked in the boats. They ate in the boats. They slept in the boats. Uh, this was their life. But boats are for fishing. Primarily, that's what they do. Uh, they have a fishing business. And on this particular occasion, and recorded for us in Luke 5, uh, they're going to have the best day of fishing they've ever had. Uh, it's going to be quite a day because Jesus, of course, is in the boat with them. You know what Christians are? Christians are fishermen. We are fishers. Uh, we have partners, verse 7, we'll talk about in a minute. Fishing is our business, and that is uh, we have uh, something that the world needs, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we, all of our lives, are seeking to share that good news and the love of God and the redemption that is in Christ with a lost and dying world. Uh, what is our boat? We have a lot of boats to go fishing in. Our church is one of them. We gather together. We invite people to come and be with us. We preach the gospel from here. Your family, uh, your home is a fishing boat, a place for ministry, a place to uh, invite people to and give uh, uh, the gospel out. Where you work, your recreation, where you happen to serve or what you do, maybe your hobby. 
Uh, all of these are fishing boats for us and ways we have to get the gospel out to other people. Now, you know, preachers and missionaries, it's kind of assumed, you know, that they're supposed to be fishermen. They're supposed to be doing this. And I hope that we do. But let me tell you, we're not always the best at this. Uh, some of the greatest soul winners, some of the greatest people who could take the gospel to others have been lay people in various places of the world and various mission fields and the rest. And so even though there's teaching and encouraging and I hope example from the pulpits, uh, all of us are fishermen. And all of us have this uh, responsibility to do this. And that's why this is, as Ron said, is encouraging to us. And, uh, and by the way, uh, you have the right tackle box. <laughs> you, you have the right fishing equipment for this. Number one, you know Christ is your Savior, don't you? You know what it is to be saved. You know what it is to be caught, <laughs> as the fishing analogy goes. You have the Holy Spirit then who gives you the power and, and really does the work uh, through you. You have the Word of God. There's not a greater, uh, should I say, bait. Uh, th that is, at least, this is what you give. This is what you cast out there. This is the seed that you sow. We all have that, and uh, there's a world full of people out there uh, that need all of these things. So we all, we, we all have what it takes. Now, we're going to start a, a Bible conference tonight. And one of my th thoughts uh, about this passage is that I know that Brother Dan is going to encourage us to better health. He's going to talk to us about things that beset us, things that keep us from doing what the Lord wants us to do. And uh, I think we all need that. Uh, we need that kind of retreat. We need someone to share with us and, and to kind of encourage us back to health in our Christian walk and in the scriptures and so forth. And so I'm kind of talking about how then we go about the Lord's business once he brings us to health. That's why we need our health. That's why we need encouragement and we need to be refocused sometimes to our main business. So you're looking at your bulletin. And uh, if you haven't already fainted at a sermon that has eight points, <laughs> ladies, you can take your shoes off and men, you can pull your glasses down on your nose and uh, we'll see if uh, I can't finish. You know, it, it, since I don't get Sunday night to preach because Dan's preaching tonight, I got to get everything I can in, in the morning. But I have a clock, too, and I even reset it, by the way, so uh, we'll, we'll watch it pretty close. So follow with me these things from uh, Luke chapter 5 and see if this uh, doesn't challenge your heart also. First of all, we have a command given in verse 4. When he had left speaking as he's in the boat teaching, he said to Simon, that's Peter, of course, launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a draft. It's an old English word that would be pronounced like our English word draft, which means like a depth or a uh, let it down into the deep. And so he does. Here's a command. And Jesus just says to Peter, do this. And Peter's pretty much obligated to do it. You remember uh, the famous words from your mother, don't you? That uh, when you would say why, and she would answer because... I said so. That's right. All of you are mouthing those words. Because I said so. 
So why should Peter go back out into the water now after he's been there all night? And basically because the Lord says so. Let me emphasize that and, and be finding your way over to the book of 2 John, way toward the back of your Bible. The commands of the Lord are the word of God to us. We don't question these things. We do them. These words come from God. These words come from the Lord Jesus. Let me emphasize, notice John here now, uh, 50 years later, he's emphasizing walking after his commandments. The elder to the elect lady, he's writing, and her children, whom I love in the truth, not I only, but all the, also all they that have known the truth for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. And grace be with you, mercy, peace. Don't you like these introductions? From God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. Notice verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children doing what? Walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments. And this is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. And if we read 3 John, we would have very similar language also. The commands of God are for us. We rejoice if we're walking in these commands. And what is his commandment? The Old and New Testament, what we call the Bible. These are the commands of God. And we know the yeses and the noes. We know what we should do and what we should not do. We know when one command has been superseded by another, uh, like Sabbath keeping or things like that. We know uh, the commands that he gives. Anything the Bible teaches is a command to us. You don't have to say, well, what, what is the greatest? Is it to love one another? Then that's my command. That's what I'll do. Well, yeah, I'll do that and do everything else the Bible says. They would have to do everything that Jesus asks them to do. And you know what? It's not always easy. And here is Peter after fishing all night and being up all night, and then he says, launch out into the deep, let's go fishing again, and he did it. Why? Because this is a commandment of the Lord. It's not always our choice, not always to our liking, but what we need to do. And you know, God has directed your life. And through his word has commanded you and brought you to this place. His commands aren't always glorious. It, do, it doesn't mean that you're going to be successful in this world or famous in this world or have plenty in this world, does it? As a matter of fact, there be, may be no earthly reward to his commands at all for you. What does that matter when our reward is in heaven? What does that matter when this life is so short and we have eternity uh, to be with him? And so here is the command. First of all, launch out into the deep. Do what I ask you to do. Secondly, though, there's an excuse. And Peter's always the one to give it, isn't it? He's, al he's, always, got, he's always thinking like this. So Simon, answering, said unto him, Master... We have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Well, I still want you to go fishing. I still want you to go back out where you were. Peter was tired. 
You know what fishing all night is, throwing that net out there, pulling that net in. Now he's, he's there and they're washing their nets and mending their nets so they can put them away and have them for, for, for the next night of fishing. And he, he already knows it's not a good night to go fishing. <laughs> you know, some days are better than others. Some places are better than others. And when the weather's not right and the water's not right and the fish aren't biting, a fisherman knows it. And so he's, he's already spent the night like that all night long. We caught nothing. I've been there and done that. <laughs> and if you go fishing, you have too. Uh, maybe you have actually sat out on a lake all night. I have because I kind of like fishing for catfish at night. And, you know, I had a little boat and a, and a thermos of coffee, and I'd go out and sit on the lake. I'd be fine all night long. But I know what it is to sit out there and come home with nothing, too. And here's Peter. He's a fisherman. He knows these things. It's not a good night to go fishing, humanly speaking, right? But uh, the Lord said, launch out into the deep. You know, what I think that many times our service to the Lord, we feel exactly like Peter feels, don't we? It just, Lord, it just doesn't work right now. It, it isn't the time to do this right now. You know what I think even for Faith Baptist Church? I think that we as a church, like many churches, but we as a church can feel like, Lord, it's just not working right now. I don't know what it is, but fishing is just, it isn't a good time for it. It isn't working. And sometimes, you know, uh, people are saying, well, you know that old thing about soul winning and winning people to Christ, that doesn't work anymore. You know that old thing about, about sharing the gospel, giving invitations when you preach, all of those things, they don't work anymore. Bible conferences, prayer meetings, you know, these kinds of things. It doesn't work anymore. We've done that for a long time, Lord, and we're kind of tired. And the fact is, we know better. We know those things don't work. And even though Peter said that to the Lord, uh, the Lord was basically saying, yeah, but I wasn't with you in the boat. That's your trouble. If I was with you, it'd work. And so launch out into the deep because I'm with you today. You know, today we kind of say, you know, all of those things don't work. But the problem is maybe that Jesus isn't with you in those times. And when he is, it doesn't make any difference what fishing hole you're in and what equipment you've got. You're going to catch fish. And so here's the excuse. We've toiled all night. We've caught nothing. We all make that excuse. But then thirdly, there's an obedience here. When he says it in verse 5 also, Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. It, you know, if you, say, if you say to do it, I will. The, the nevertheless, when he, when he says there, nevertheless, at thy word, in, in that language in which he was writing, there's two little short uh, uh, conjunctions and the two words together only equal three letters and it's kind of like you know if we said uh uh what uh, uh okay <laughs> you ever done that you don't quite get the words out uh, well uh you don't know what to say next and so you have to say okay that's kind of the way i read it you know nevertheless all right i'll do it uh we're kind of slow like that trusting the lord sometimes aren't we but, but faith is trusting that if Jesus has said to do this, he knows what's best. 
And Peter has walked with the Lord not a long time by the time we get to Luke chapter 5. Not a long time, but long enough to know if he says it, that's the best thing to do. Otherwise, this boisterous fisherman, uh, you know, the president of his company, uh, is not going to go fishing again all night uh, if he doesn't think he should. But here's this Galilean, this Jesus who said, do it again. And he says, nevertheless, if you say so, I will. We have to learn that, don't we? You remember the stories, don't you, of the Scripture? You remember Gideon? He's going to fight the thousands upon thousands of the Midianite army, and uh, he's got you know a couple thousand himself, and the Lord says, that's too many. <laughs> Cut them down. Tell the rest to go home. Now he's got quite a few hundred. The Lord says, there's too many. <laughs> Have them go drink at the brook and take only this kind. And he gets it down to 300 and says, now you're ready to fight. And he says, Lord, there are 300. I mean, this kind of thing has happened before, hasn't it? You, you remember Hezekiah when, when the Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem and 14,000 hardened Assyrian soldiers and Hezekiah is saying, what can I do here? And the angel of the Lord goes out and smites 14,000 Assyrians. If I'm with you, it can be done. I imagine when Moses got backed up to the Red Sea and the Egyptians were coming after him and he can't go any farther and the sea is there, he says, well, we're done. The Lord says, no, lift up your rod and see what I do on the waters. So the Bible's full of examples of this. I, I'm sure Jericho or, or, uh, Joshua must have thought at Jericho, march around the wall and play a tune on our trumpets? This is going to do it? Yeah, and he says, on the seventh day, go around seven times and blow the trumpets and see what I do. And no doubt he may have, must have thought, and maybe all of those marching with him thought, this is crazy, but when they blew the trumpet, what happened? God stepped in and the walls came down. And so obedience, nevertheless, at God's word is what we need. God's word plus the Holy Spirit is the power, folks. It's not you. It's not your talent. It's not your knowledge. It's God's Word plus the Holy Spirit can do anything. And if He says let down the net, if He says preach the gospel, if He says do this and I'll make it happen, He will. Look, look at chapter 5, verse 24. Uh, go a little bit further. Uh, uh, when uh, uh, he is uh, preaching later and he heals a man of palsy and he says in verse 23, is it easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to rise up and walk? Verse 24 says, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He has power to do it, folks. He wants to forgive sins. And it's the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that can do it if we just obey. So back to our notes, number four then, and in verse six, we have the blessing of it all, of course. We know the story. When they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish, fishes, and the net break. A great multitude. I got interested in that expression, a great multitude, because the word plethos usually does refer to people. It refers to a multitude, a crowd, a throng of people. And most places where this word is translated in the New Testament, it's referring to people. As a matter of fact, go, go this time to chapter 6, verse 17. Chapter 6, verse 17 
of Luke. It says he came down with them uh, from the Mount of Transfiguration. He came down and, and stood in the plain and a company of his disciples and a great multitude of people. Notice the great multitude, our word plethos, of people of all Judea and Jerusalem from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him. I mean, that's from the farthest south down in Jerusalem to the farthest north up in Tyre and Sidon. There's a multitude of people from all these places. So how many is a multitude? It's quite a lot. Multitude, when they say it that way, means a lot. In Luke's early story of Jesus' birth and the angels appear to the shepherds and, and uh, we're told that there was a multitude of the heavenly host singing. A multitude of angels appearing to the shepherds. Over First Peter, Peter will use this word in his own letter in 1 Peter 4, 8, when he says love will hide a multitude of sins. So this word, when it's used in the Scripture, means a lot, is the point. And we get the idea, a multitude here. Now, I, I want to show you something in, in John 21. Uh, you're in Luke, so just go to your ne the next one, to the last chapter of, of the Gospel of John. And uh, you remember the other story that's very similar to this? In chapter 21 and verse 3, Peter is out fishing again. Jesus has died, has been resurrected, and he had told the disciples he'd meet them in Galilee, but Peter says, well, I'm going to go fishing. So he said in verse 3, I go fishing. And they said unto him, we also will go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they <laughs> caught nothing. And when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. He's standing far off on the shore. And uh, Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast, therefore. And what happened? Now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fish. You think they would learn? <laughs> now, I've been looking for this fishing hole all my life. I'm not sure exactly where he takes them out on this boat in the lake, but uh, I haven't found it yet. Uh, George, I don't know if you know where this is, but I haven't found this place yet. But where, when the Lord says, fish right here, they catch them, and they catch a multitude of fish. And uh, surely they've learned. Now, by the way, we're told down in verse 11 that, that in that case, the multitude was 153. Maybe that doesn't seem like a lot, a fishing boat catching 153 fish. But uh, all I can say is, I doubt if Jesus gave them any little ones. <laughs> I, I think uh, whatever Jesus gave them were good ones. Uh, but he even counts them here. But back in our story, uh, he, he didn't so much. The command is by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit says, go, Jesus said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. Let me worry about how many. Let me worry about the multitude of fish. You know what the greatest work of the Holy Spirit is? Even though the Holy Spirit stood over the waters on the day of creation and participated in the creation of the water, even, even the Holy Spirit stood over Mary and said, this will be conceived of the Holy Spirit. The greatest work of the Holy Spirit is to take a hardened heart in unbelief, born in sin, 
against God, against everything that God stands for, and change that heart into a heart of of flesh again and have him believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That work is the great work the Holy Spirit wants to do. Not just catching fish out of water, but catching men out of their sin. That great work the Holy Spirit can do and wants to do. And you know, Jesus said, listen folks, the, the fields are white under harvest. I mean, the water's full of them. <laughs> the water's full of fish. You can do this anywhere if I'm with you. It's just that the laborers are few. Nobody really wants to do it. It's all there for us. The blessing is there for us. So, command, excuse, obedience, and blessing. But let's go on to these. Verse 7 I call a sharing, because they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they would come and help them. And we're told later that this is Peter and, uh, or I mean James and John. Uh, they were brothers. They were fishermen with Peter, and they're going to come and help him with get these fish uh, into their boat also, because his boat is sinking. There's so many of them there. It's good to have partners, folks. We have partners in this ministry. You're not alone in it. We're not alone in it. Faith Baptist Church isn't alone in it. We're partners with many people who are doing this great work. Let me remind you of a couple. Number one is in, in Hebrews chapter 6, uh, by the way, where it says, chapter 6, verse 4 of Hebrews, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened meaning here's how the Holy Spirit is convicting a person to accept Christ as Savior. They were once enlightened. They have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partners with the Holy Ghost. Partakers in the old version, partners. Same word, by the way, as our word partner here. The Holy Spirit is your partner in witnessing. And just as Peter says, I need you to come and help me uh, get these fish into my boat, the Holy Spirit is the one who's your partner in the ministry. Another place you ought to stop and look at is 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul begins this chapter by saying, We then as workers together with him, that is with God. God, God is your partner in this business. And Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. If you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as your partner in this business of fishing for men that you're in, if God is for us, who can be against us? How can you fail in, a, in something like that? They are your partner. We have partners then. Uh, other churches, pastors, missionaries. Think of, think of our partners, the missionaries. You and I can't go to those places of the world. But if somebody will go and can, then we can help. And we can give of our wealth and we can give of our sons to send them on their way, as the song goes. We can pray for them. And I hope that we do. Because we are partners with them. And every missionary knows it. Every missionary knows if it's not for those holding the ropes back home, we are going to fail out here. We don't have what it takes to get all this multitude into the boat. So we're partners. I kind of feel, for example, that tonight, uh, Brother Dan Witcher uh, is a former missionary. Now uh, he'll be an evangelist for us. And I kind of feel like, as my partner, 
here, uh, you know, we have, a, we have a great church, and they hear my voice all the time, <laughs> and, and uh, we work together all the time. So come over beside us and be a new voice for a few days and, and give new encouragement for a few days. Help me a little bit. Be my partner a little bit. And so he's going to come and he's going to do that. We need that all the time. We need that kind of partnering, and we have it. Now, let me, let me remind you that not everybody... Who, fish, who fishes for the Lord, fishes in a good spot. <laughs> Not everyone who works in the field always works in the most fruitful spot in the field. And you shouldn't be discouraged if it seems like someone down the road is, is uh, having more success in this than you are. Or it seems like God is blessing over here and not blessing you. That's up to the Lord. We're in labors in his field. We're where he put us. We're doing what he wants us to do. And so remember, it's not, it's not how many, it's how we do the work. Study the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, and you will remember when we stand before the Lord someday, he will never ask us how many, but he will ask us, how did you do the work? And that's what's important. So we go from sharing to a great statement in verse, uh, verse 8, and that is worship. So verse 8 says, when Peter saw this, saw the multitude of fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. I call this worship. You know what true worship in our heart is? God, you are God, and I'm a sinful human being. You ought to depart from me. You ought to have nothing to do with me. Look at what I am and look at what you are. If we could ever see ourselves that way and see God that way, we might be able to approach a worshipful attitude. Now, I'll be quick to add, of course, that the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith in Him and His blood, uh, He has brought us to the Father, and He has made a way for us to come into the Father. And if it were not for the intercession of Christ, we wouldn't be able to be in God's presence, and we can because of Him. But worship still is that attitude that uh, He is holy and I am not. And therefore, he deserves uh, all glory and honor, and I need to fall on my knees and on my face because I deserve none of that. Here was Peter looking at this miracle. It's undeniable. Peter will see, again, as I said before, he, he's in that storm that day, and he sees the Lord stand up and say to the wind and the sea, be quiet, and it has to stop because the Lord says so. Peter sees him walking on the water. Nobody walks on water. Peter says, you must be the Lord. Let me come to you. And, and the Lord let him do it. And now in an impossible situation, Peter knows it's not a good night for fishing, knows it, it won't work, and yet he sees this miracle take place. When you realize that about God and you see God that way, then you realize that everything is of God and not of you. It's not going well because you're so wonderful. It's not going well because you're so talented. It's going well because God blesses. And conversion is a miraculous work of God, is it not? Conversion uh, is a work that has to be of God. And when we see God convert someone from their sin and, and, and cause them to believe in Christ, we fall at his feet and say, that is of you, Lord, that is not of me. 
let me remind you of something else in this book in chapter 15. Uh, if you can turn there quickly, you'll remember these two statements in, in chapter 15 and verse 7. It says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than ninety and nine just persons that need no repentance. What happens in heaven in the presence of God when somebody gets saved? They fall down and worship and say, praise to you, Lord, for doing this great work. And verse 10 of that same chapter, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. What do the angels do, the mighty angels around the throne of God, when one sinner repents? They say, you are God. You are to be praised. And if the angels have to say that, and those in heaven have to say that, then surely you and I have to say that too. And praise the Lord for uh, what he does when we realize it's all of God and not of us. Worship. And then number seven, promise. Verse 10, of course, he says, uh, James and John were there. They were partners with Simon. Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, <laughs> from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Interesting. Fishing isn't about fish. It's about people. My kind of fishing, the Lord says, is not just about you being a good fisherman, Peter. I'm talking about people. Now, you know what? I, I'll be honest with you. It, it almost sounds selfish, maybe by today's standards, manipulative. I'm going to let you catch people. <laughs> and we, we can put some bad connotation on that, if you will. But he's using fishing language to speak of giving the gospel. And so he uses the fishing language of, of catching. But we realize that when a person comes to Christ, it's not catching them. It's not tricking them into something uh, like you might do with a fish and a hook. But rather, uh, it, it is simply that that God has said, I'll be with you, and if you'll preach the word and the Holy Spirit will convict, this person will be saved. And then that way, that person comes to the Lord. Literally, the, the verses say, uh, you will catch men alive. The word living is there. You will, you will catch men alive. Not dead old fish in a boat. You're going to catch human beings with a life and a soul that need to be saved. And let me remind you of something. Did Peter do it? Was, it, was this promise then true of Peter? Ah, what's the day of Pentecost all about? Peter, even having failed the Lord and, and had failed him the night that he was crucified and he was restored then again, comes to the day of Pentecost and the Lord cautions him, don't start it, Peter, until you receive the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you'll be witnesses unto me first in Jerusalem. And they wait till that day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes as the way he did on Pentecost. And Peter says, well, okay, I'll say it. He stands up and he says it, and 3,000 people come to be saved and baptized. And not long after that, the number grows to 5,000 people come to be saved. And Peter, no doubt, had to fall down before the Lord and said, it's all of you, Lord. It couldn't be of me. I can't do this, never could. But here is the promise. I will make you fishers of men. I will give you this power to do it. And he did it. Now, let me, let me also say this to all of you who know the Lord as Savior. Um, most of us are better at fishing with a single hook than a big net. <laughs> 
you know, they use nets in these days to catch, but you and I mostly fish with a hook, don't we? I mean, we have one rod, we throw it out there, it's got one hook on the end, and that's how we fish, and we're a lot better at that. Peter even was told by the Lord to throw his hook in the water one time, and he caught one fish. So th that's usually the way we do it, and so you may not be a, a Billy Sunday, a D.L. Moody, a Charles Spurgeon, or somebody like that, but you're a fisherman that has one hook and one fish. And you give the gospel out where you can. You see the fishing hole, you throw the hook in there. You give the gospel out, and you wait to see if the Lord's going to bless it. You don't know what's under the surface there. You can't tell. You're just throwing, throwing it out there to see what is there. And, you know, remember, it's not just a single cast. You don't throw a hook out there and say, oh, well, fishing's not for me, and then quit. You try over there, and then you try over there, and then you try over there. That's what fishermen do until you find out where the right thing is. And so uh, it takes work, it takes uh, repetition, and it takes stick to and we should have that. And then let me just mention the last thing, of course. We get to verse 11, when he had, they brought their ships to the land and got through with this uh, fishing and this whole episode, it says, then they forsook all and followed him. That's when we give our total commitment to the Lord. That's when we say, this is what I'm about. This is why we're here. Leave the boats, leave the nets, leave the business, leave the livelihood. And I'm not saying that every person then that comes to this place, you have to change your whole life, change your job, quit your job, go to the mission field or something like that. I'm just saying now you know what your life is about. Now you know what the purpose is. Now you know why God has you here. If you don't know Christ as Savior, forsaking all is to leave your sins behind and to leave that old life that, that uh, was not taking you anywhere, as a matter of fact, taking you to a Christless eternity and leaving that behind and following Him as your Lord and Savior. For, for a believer, it's to forsake that sin, forsake that selfishness, forsake those things that drag you down. Maybe it's apathy and, and selfishness and fear and doubt of these things. You leave it behind and you say, I'm going to serve God every chance I get. They forsook all and they followed him. Now, be a be a tool that is 100% for the Lord. Be, be a fishing rod that can be used at any time and any place for the Lord. You know, it, I don't know if you're like me, but uh, if you go out in your garage and look for your fishing stuff, I imagine that it's probably an unorganized mess, <laughs> right? I mean, you've got junk laying over here and cobwebs off over here and, and tackle over here and maybe some old net over there and who knows what kind of junk because we don't do it very much and we leave it alone too much. But let's take a hold of that stuff this week as we, as we hear the preaching of the word and God burdens our heart with things that we should be before him and let's put our tackle back together and clean it up and organize it and be ready to fish. Be ready to do what the Lord wants us to do. I hope that uh, God will do that work in our heart throughout this week as we come to it. I want you to stand now with me, if you will. And as we're standing, we'll bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. Then we'll open our songbook and we'll sing a song and let the Lord speak to our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Father, uh, thank you for passages like this in your word. Just real life, real situation passages. And yet... 
infused with the miracle working power of the Savior as he walked on this earth and showed us the power that he has. And then, Father, we remember that he said, Lo, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, and I'm with you to the end of the age. And so, Father, we know we have that available to us. Help us, Father, then, in our work that we do, in this great work of giving the gospel out to this world. Bless us in this. And, Father, you know our hearts. You know our hurts. You know, Father, everything that prevents us from serving you. I pray that as we go through the next uh, four nights that uh, you would speak to us in a special way and, and uh, mend up our nets and wash off our nets and get us ready, Father, for your work in us. So bless us right now as we think about these things and you speak to our hearts. Move us in the way that we, we need to be moved. Show us what we need to see. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. As John comes.